was about a little over a year ago that um, uh, my dad was not doing well uh, at home with, with my mom at the time. And uh, my mom had decided that it was time for him to go into a nursing home. He had lost the use of his legs and because it was, it was too painful for him to walk. So he just stopped walking and then eventually the muscles atrophied and, and he didn't have that ability anymore. He had severe Alzheimer's, so he kind of didn't, you know, he, he would come and, come and go as far as, you know, reality was concerned. And we didn't think he had very long to live at that time because of the severity of all the things that he had. My mom was doing pretty well at the time, and uh, so he was put into the nursing home. It was a year ago, November, and it was only uh, about a month later, my mom had a stroke, and then two months after that, uh, another stroke, and my mom passed away. And, you know, that was the surprise because she was the healthy one, and my dad continued on in the nursing home. Of course, this made things in the nursing home harder for my dad because my mom used to go visit him very, very frequently, and of course he would look forward to that. And when that ended, it was it was kind of hard. He would, kept asking where mom was, and we kept trying to decide whether we should tell him or not because with, with Alzheimer's, you tell him, and the next day he forgets, and then you have to tell him again. So we, we just were, wasn't sure. But eventually, he figured it out after months of not seeing my mom that, you know, she was gone. We kept saying, well, he's in he you know, she's in heaven with him. But, and uh, in the last month or so, uh, we kept getting, I kept getting text messages from my sister who lives down there that dad's not doing well. And at one point, about two or three weeks ago, he, he got pneumonia and, and they gave him antibiotics. He seemed to come out of that. But um, it was just day after day, he wasn't doing well for one reason or another, but he kept seeming to come out of it. Uh, Thursday, I got another message from my sister that uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't doing well. He had been throwing up all night, and they didn't know why. And uh, she stayed with him for the whole day, but he just progressively got worse. And Thursday evening, he passed away. So... Uh, Patty and I have to go down to Florida again uh, on Wednesday. Uh, the funeral is going to be Friday, and the, they have a mass uh, because they're still Catholic. Uh, they have a mass on Saturday morning for him. So um, the, 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 the positives here that, you know, my dad has been either in bed or a wheelchair for almost two years. He has not been able to walk. His quality of life was awful, and you know it, it's, it, it hurts to, to, to know he's gone, but at the same time, it's a blessing because uh, you know you know he was not happy. He wasn't happy because my mom wasn't around, and he wasn't happy because well, he would just lay in bed most of the day and just look out a window, and that was that was his life. So uh, I'm blessed that he is, you know, with the Lord right now, and uh, that's a good thing. Um, I get calls from uh, most of my family is still Catholic, so I get calls from them that they're praying for him. And it's like I understand, you know, they, they, they have the teaching that he might be in purgatory and he might need prayers to get out of purgatory and to be with the Lord. So... I don't like to, to get into theological discussions with anyone over that, and I just 
say thank you. But that's that's where we're that's where we're at. So um, I appreciate that. I know some some new and some have been praying for myself and my family. That's why Tim wants to come up here. He wants to pray uh, for my family and myself. And I appreciate all the prayers that we can get with the traveling and all the things that go on. The one good thing that that comes out of this, uh, I, I lost my brother about three years ago. And I, I did his eulogy, and I able, I'm able to give the gospel message at his eulogy, which I was also able to give again last year at my mom's funeral. Um, I don't know if I'm giving the eulogy yet to my dad. I, we haven't decided on that one yet, but, you know, they, they, they keep getting the gospel message, which is good because they don't necessarily uh, get all that. So, okay, Tim. They get the gospel message from you just yes. because you're there. Yeah, that's just true. Just because Patty is there. Amen. It, it comes out of you no matter what you're doing, whether you're standing up here or sitting there or wherever. So Thank that, you. That is our belief. So, Lord. Amen. Oh, Lord, 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 Lord. Jesus, you are, the comf- you are a comfort. You've sent us a comforter. And, Father, we just pray that by your Spirit, you administer to the entire family. Lord, we know that they've all heard the gospel message. They've seen it in action, especially through Mike and Patty. And we just pray for a powerful move of your spirit during this time when grief seems to take over. And yet, Lord Jesus, you are the great sufferer. And in the suffering and through the suffering, your gospel message can be proclaimed. And we just pray pray that that's what would happen. Lord, comfort. Comfort the grief-stricken. Comfort those who are confused. And may Mike and Patty be especially anointed to be messengers of your love and your grace and your mercy. And we believe this and trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I I don't know how God opens the windows. When when you're in heaven, you know, I, I know... I think our eyes are pretty much fixed on Jesus and that, that light. I'm wondering sometimes how, how much he opens the window of looking down to earth and seeing what's going on down here. But if he does, I know my dad and my mom are seeing a good legacy in not only myself, but in their grandchildren who all know the Lord and, and, uh, and then their great-grandchildren that are coming up to know the Lord. Oh. Those are all those are all really positive things. We have been uh, in starting into a, uh, a continued teaching on chasing after God's purpose for us, and today I want to talk about revolutionary obedience. And I want to start out uh, in Scripture, which is a good place to start, uh, and in Luke chapter five. I want to start right in uh, verse 1, and I'm going to read down to verse 11. If you want to follow, fine. If you don't, you can just close your eyes and listen, but don't go to sleep. All right. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. 
and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. There's a lot of things I noticed as I, as I read this. Some, some things come out at me. Verse 11, the biggest thing, it says, So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Peter didn't hesitate. He was obedient to the Lord. First, he was obedient right right there in throwing out the net. You know, Jesus said to him, "Um, I know you've been out fishing all night, and I know you've caught nothing, but throw the net out again. And what did Peter do? Did he argue with them? Did he say, nah, nah, you know, it's not going to work, Lord, it's not going to work? Because we've tried it, you know, but he did. He followed that. But also, in verse 11, do you notice he didn't hesitate on following Jesus? Because he forsook all. He left it all and followed and followed Jesus. Now, what strikes me also here is Peter wasn't single. It wasn't just Peter. He had a family. And if, if you just go back into chapter 4, in my Bible, happens to be on the same page, but it might not be in yours. But verse 38, Jesus is at the house of Simon. He's, he's at Peter's house. And he says, Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request, they made request of him concerning her. There's two things that come out of that verse for me. First of all, obviously, Peter has a family. He has a wife. His, his mother-in-law is living with him. I, I'm not sure about the, the culture back then, exactly what they did, if they, if they had you know, the whole extended family all staying in one place or, or what. But think of the trust that Peter had in the obedience that he gave to Jesus when Jesus said, follow me. Okay, he didn't say, well, I've got to go back to my family and, and make sure that everything's going to be fine when, you know, when I leave. He just, he just followed. He trusted Jesus. And you know God's going to take care of that. We, we know that. But I think in my own life, if, you know, I, I spent 37 years teaching, 
If in my 20th year, all of a sudden, Jesus said, I want you to give up your job and just go to maybe India and and preach in India and just leave your family behind and I'll take care of them. It's like, I, I don't know if I really had that much trust in God to just say, okay, I'm going, and that was it, you know, or I, or go back and, and to my family and say, you know, this is what's happening, and let's see if we can work things out financially. I, I don't know, but somehow Peter, you know, did that without um, uh, even hes- hesitating at all. I want to show you the difference here. I want you to go to, we're still in Luke, go to Luke 18. And I'm going to start reading 18, 18. So the 18th verse of 18. It says, now a certain ruler asked him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. So Jesus, in a sense, said this. It's an invitation, but it's it's almost like a command at the same time. You know, you're asking me this question. This is what you want to know. You know, how much, you know, what else can I can you can I do? And he's getting the answer from God himself. This is what you can do. Just sell all that you have. But you notice he wasn't prepared for that answer at all. He was not expecting. I think he was expecting to Jesus to say, man, you've had a great life. You've been following the commandments. You know, the, the, the things are going really, really good for you. But Jesus is saying you lack one thing. And look at verse 23. It says, But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. He didn't obey what God had presented to him as, as what he could do. And what did it create in his life? It created sorrow. Okay, there was no joy in his life at all because he was not obedient. There are times when God shows us, shows us things that we need to do. This was one of the things that he was showing this man because riches were going to get in the way of him, you know, drawing closer to God. And yet he, um, he, he, he would not uh, obey that, and because of that, he was sorrowful. Look at the difference if we go back into the book of Matthew. In chapter 4, and just, I just want to show you the difference here. Uh, verse 18 of chapter 4. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Okay, so it's very similar to the story we read in, in Luke. Verse 20, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Immediately. Okay, now if we think back to the verse where Jesus was having dinner with Simon Peter at his, at his mother-in-law's, at, at his, uh, with his, uh, his wife and his mother-in-law, you can see that Peter and Jesus were interacting before this, all of this happened. Okay? Sequentially, it happened first. So Peter was in touch with Jesus. He was, you know, interacting with Jesus. He talking with Jesus at various times. He was preparing for this moment when all of a sudden Jesus says, now's the time, follow me. Because it says he immediately followed them. And it wasn't just Peter and Andrew. Look at verse 21. It says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them. Verse 22, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. See, this is revolutionary obedience. You just, uh, God calls and you answer. When I was teaching uh, fifth grade, we used to go over this word, revolution. It was a big word for, for kids. Because we always studied the American Revolution. And in the minds of most fifth graders at that time, they would think revolution is a war. You know, because they always think that was the term, American Revolution. Actually, revolution is, it's just a complete turn. It's a sudden change in, in our lives. We have all experienced a revolution in our lives. Okay, the day that we said yes to Jesus, the day that we gave our lives to him, our lives changed. Okay, we, we, had, we all of a sudden had a different master. You know, God became our father now, no longer, uh, no longer Satan that is, is leading us. So obedience comes in, there's certain requirements that will come with obedience that will draw us into an area where we can see what God's purpose is, what he has for our life. As um, uh, Tim mentioned last week in uh, his sermon, that that obedience, that chasing after the purpose of God, is sometimes it's large things, you know, one thing that we look at in the future, for example, a missionary might think, I, I'm, I'm going to go to India. That's a pretty big thing. But it also comes, those purposes come day to day. They're little things that we have in our life, little things that God shows us that we need to be obedient to. And as we are, as we are obedient in those little things, God adds to them and then shows us the bigger things. If we are not obedient in those little things, we may never get to the point where God will show us the bigger picture. We don't ever want to get to heaven and having missed out on all the 
purposes that God had for us in life. So here's some of the, the requirements that come. I don't know if the, the word requirement is the right word here, but I couldn't think of another word that um, fit what it is. Uh, the first thing is the sovereignty of God. God is always sovereign. His purposes are going to come about no matter what. All right. So if he has for us to do something, if we don't do it, he's going to get somebody else to do it. And it may not come out the way we want. You know, we're, we're expecting everything. For example, I, I think of the uh, one time in the uh, early church when the Christians were trying to spread out the word of God. In other words, they, they're trying to get the word of God out to everyone so that those, the Jewish people at that time and, and people throughout the world would come to, know, come to know Jesus. And Stephen was one of the men who were doing that. He was preaching uh, Jesus, and uh, of course the Pharisees didn't like that. Now, Satan put it into the heart of the Pharisees to have Stephen killed, to stop the preaching of God's word. All right? Now, Satan was successful in that because they killed Stephen. But what happened because Stephen was killed? God's purposes were fulfilled actually because of that and in spite of that. Because when Stephen was killed, there was this fear that went out into all the Christians. They were trying to protect themselves and they spread out throughout the entire world, unknown world at that time. And what happened? The word of God got out into all the world, even more so than Stephen's preaching. So you see, God's purposes are going to come about. God's sovereign. So no matter what happens in our life, okay, if it's not kind of going the way that we want it to go, it's still God's purposes are going to uh, come about, and he's going to fulfill um, the purposes that we have, that he has given us to do so, you know we we need to chase God and His purposes, but God's going to be sovereign in that. Okay, that's also going to create in us another requirement, and that's the trust that we have to have in God. That trust has to be there. Okay, that He is going to take care of of everything. Peter and James and John and Andrew all trusted God, obviously. Okay, because they left to follow Jesus and they had uh, a family that was left behind. Another thing that is going to um, come in there, and, and I think going back to Peter was in touch with Jesus all of that time. This is what this is a good example for us, because to chase after God's purposes, we need to be in touch with Jesus all the time. That's a constant thing in our lives that we need to be, uh, you know, in, uh, in talking with him and in contact with the Holy Spirit so that we don't miss things that come along. The next thing is that we have to be consistently faithful in dying to self because our flesh can very easily get in the way. It's so easy. You know, it's, it, our flesh makes following it very, very easy. You know, we don't have to think. We don't have to strive to follow our flesh. Okay? It's, it's right there all the time. You know, uh, we start 
getting hungry, and our flesh tells us, you know, we got to eat food. Uh, we want to sleep later in the morning. Our flesh tells us we need more sleep, you know, let's stay in bed. God might be telling you a different thing. All right, God might be saying to you, you really need to get up a little earlier in the morning. That's that little bit of obedience that we're talking about. It's not a big deal, okay? And it isn't a big deal if we did turn over and go back to sleep. But God might have something for us that morning that we missed because, you know, he wanted us to get up, say, an hour earlier, and we, our flesh said, nah, I don't really want to do that. I've been guilty of that many, many times. And it's really hard when you don't really have to get up because you don't have to be somewhere, but God really wants to get up. So we have to be faithful in dying to self and whatever God shows us to do that. That brings about a, a condition of sacrifice where we sacrifice various things. And I think a, a good example of sacrifice was a missionary uh, back in the 1950s named Jim Elliott. And Jim Elliott went to Ecuador. Uh, he had a burning desire to, uh, to spread the gospel to various people. So he had gone to Ecuador with, I think it was four other missionaries at the time, and he was martyred there by the tribe that uh, actually eventually came to the Lord because, I think, of his wife, who stayed, be, stayed behind. But this was Jim Elliott's kind of his summary of his life, and it was written by his wife, Elizabeth. Jim's aim was to know God. His course, obedience. The only course that could lead to the fulfillment of his aim. His end was what some would call an extraordinary death. Although in facing death, he had quietly pointed out that many have died because of obedience to God. He and the other men with whom he died were hailed as heroes, martyrs. And then she goes on to say, I do not approve, nor would they have approved. Is the distinction between living for Christ and dying for him after all so great? Okay, she's saying there's no difference between giving your life for God, or living for God. Because basically, in living for God, we're giving our life to him. We're dying to ourselves all the time. We're, we're going in, in that direction of sacrifice that we talked about. She goes on to say, Is not the second the logical conclusion of the first? Furthermore, to live for God is to die daily. As the Apostle Paul put it, it is to lose everything that we may gain Christ. It is in thus laying down our lives that we find him. See, there's very little difference, according to her now, the very little difference between being a martyr, giving your life, or not being a martyr and giving your life. Because sometimes that giving your life day by day by day by day, sometimes because it's, it's that faithfulness over an extended period of time, years and years and years, that it becomes even harder to do that than to at one time you give your life and that's it. Now you're, you're in heaven uh, before God. So she's showing that she's saying there's really no distinction. Okay, And so whether or not we are ever called 
to be martyrs or we're called to give our lives daily to Jesus Christ. There's no difference. You know, we're going to stand before God in, in the faithfulness that we do. We do. And I love uh, Jim Elliott saying, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I mean, that, that, those, that phrase went out, and it's so famous uh, today, because he was the one that said that. And, and, and it's so true, you know. What we give to the God, we can't keep anyway, you know. So, big deal. So, what we're given is really, you know, I mean, it's a big deal to us because it's, it's hard. Our flesh doesn't want to give up a lot of these things. But we can't keep them anyway. And then we're going to gain so much because of it. So daily we're going to seek out his purposes in our lives and basically through obedience and that revolutionary obedience because what it's going to do, that revolutionary obedience, is life-changing. It's going to change our lives. We have changed our lives in the sense that we've given them to the Lord, but that doesn't end there. Okay, because we gave our lives to the Lord, and now, you know, if, if you're thinking in terms of that's it, you know, now I just go to church on Sunday and I live my life during the week. Um, that's very different from the life-changing experience that we can have if we have that revolutionary obedience day by day by day by day. All right, and God will show us those purposes little at a time so that we do, in the end, fulfill the purposes that he has for us in, in our lives. There are some things, as far as seeking God's purposes, there are some things that we don't have to seek God for, because he tells us in, our, in his word that there are certain things that we're supposed to be doing. Number one, one of our purposes is to be praying. Praying for each other, praying for different things in the world, praying for those who are persecuted, you know, in the world, all of these things. You know, God says in the book of Matthew, when you pray, he never says if you pray. Okay, it's something that we are, are supposed to be doing. And uh, in, in that praying, um, there, are, there are various things that he shows us that we should be praying about. One of the things is praying for our nation. Praying for our country. Um, That's something that is, uh, it's just, it's not one of those things that if I feel led to do it, then I'll pray for our country. God doesn't say that at all. You know, in the book of Timothy, he says to, you know, to be praying for our leaders and to be praying for our country. And, you know, God... uh, sometimes gives people a little bit more of a love uh, for certain things in which, in other words, you're called to really be an intercessor. Because I feel God has shown me that that I'm supposed to be an intercessor, which means that I should probably be praying for more for our country than many other Christians. But it doesn't mean that if you're not called to be an intercessor that you don't have to pray for our country. All right? Um, I... uh, I, God has given me a love for the United States that it, it just kind of pours out of my heart in, in things that I say. And I love to hear that you're going to serve your country in a certain way, Brandon, that, uh, in the Marines, because that's a calling. 
You know, and that's a that's a that's a tough thing. Not everybody's called for that, and uh, our country does does need to be protected. I know. I don't know if this kind of goes off uh, the track a, a little bit. One of the things that uh, I, I've loved all my life, I love I've loved sports, and as when I was younger, I used to play almost every, any and every sport that existed. And you know, as I've gotten older, I can only play the slower sports like you know softball or go bowling or something. Uh, and I love to watch sports, but one of the things that I, I really love to watch is football. Because to me, I found, uh, find football very, very exciting to watch. So I really enjoy it, even though the team I root for never goes anywhere, and it's always a, a, a frustrating year if you really you know, are affected by it. But this year something happened that um, affected that in that early, early in the year, uh, during the uh, Star Spangled Banner before the football games, many of the football players started um, kneeling instead of standing because they were, they were kind of indicating that, uh, our, to me, it was a mockery of our flag, which is a representation of our nation. And I just felt very strongly about that, that, you know, God's given me this love for our nation. And uh, here are players in, in front of the world because it's televised and, you know, well, there's 50,000 people in the stands and there's hundreds of thousands of people watching the game. And, you know, they're showing disrespect for our flag and for our country. And I made a decision at the beginning of the year. I won't watch football games for that reason. And I don't know if that's a God thing or not, but I, I know it's God who gave me the love of the nation that we live in. And I feel that um, that's a mockery of all the freedoms and everything that, that, that um, we have in our nation and what that men have fought and died for, you know, so that we could have it. And ironically, they have the freedom to be able to do that because of people who have died for it. And that's what they're, they're not really looking at. So, um, like I say, I, I don't know if that's kind of off the track or not, but I really feel that if, if God's showing you to do something, uh, you'd be obedient to that. Uh, I don't know if it's revolutionary obedience, but it, it, it is obedience. Another thing that, that God shows us, uh, and that is uh, the desire that we should have for the spiritual gifts that uh, God, that the Holy Spirit wants to give to us. Uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit just gives it freely, and other times He asks us to desire them. And I look in, uh, I, I looked in Corinthians, and, and actually it, it has a couple of times the same thing in First Corinthians chapter 12. At uh, the very last verse before the love chapter, he says, but earnestly desire the best gifts. Okay, he's talking about the spiritual gifts there. And then if you slip over to chapter 14, um, verse 1, he says, pursue love, because that follows the love chapter, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. See, desiring spiritual gifts should not be something that, well, we, we have to ask God if God really wants us 
to desire them. He's telling us that we're supposed to desire these spiritual gifts. Now, he may give us specific spiritual gifts that we really want to have. Because that's the way I feel. I have two spiritual gifts that I have been praying for. And, and those are the ones that I mainly, I mainly focus on. But God may be showing you, you know, that he wants you maybe to be a worker of miracles or maybe to uh, be able to interpret tongues or wh- whatever it is. But he is telling us to desire that. It's not something that we have to you know, find out, is, is this one of the purposes that you want us to do, pray about spiritual gifts? He's already told us that it's there to, to do that. So um, as we read Scripture, we may find in, in Scripture that God's telling us to already have an obedience in following certain things that he is following. And those things are going to help us and lead us into knowing what his purposes are in, in, uh, in, in doing this. Okay? I, I look at uh, Jim Elliott. He had a burning desire to follow Jesus' command to take the gospel into, into all the world. And my question to me is now, do I have that same burning desire all right, to chase after all the, the, the uh, purposes that God has for me? That's what I want to have in my life. I want to have that burning desire that he had, okay, that he had, he knew what his purposes were, and he just, he went and fulfilled that and then was martyred because of it. In our lives, all right, how much of the burning desire do we have in, in seeking out all the giftings that he has and all the purposes that uh, God might have for us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of the, the things that you have shown us in your word, Lord God, that you have created us w- with a plan and a purpose, Lord. And Lord, we want to fulfill Whatever the plans and purposes are that you have them. We, we do want to chase the ones, Lord God, that, uh, uh, are, that are not shown in your word, that is specifically that you uh, have planned for us. We also want to um, uh, find within your word, Father, all the things that you are showing us that are our, our purposes in, in living. We thank you that you have uh, placed us in this nation, Lord God. We thank you that uh, this nation had a, a purpose in, in you, Lord God. And Lord, help us to see that purpose, uh, and as Americans, to be able to uh, fulfill that purpose here as, as we pray for leaders, that, uh, for their wisdom that they meet, might need in uh, in. Uh, do, just doing various things to um, protect the people of this country and to uh, help as we extend out into other nations uh, in the world. We pray as we go forth today, Lord, that uh, as, as, we, as we find uh, these things, that this will help bridge builders, Lord, to be a mighty church in you, Lord God, that we would actually shake the nations, Lord, because of the uh, spiritual gifts 
that we have, that we are exhibiting here in, in, in this, uh, in this uh, body of believers, Lord, in this building, and uh, that this, there would just be an explosion, Lord God, because of the revolutionary obedience that we are showing to, to you, Lord God, as we, as we seek you out each and every day, whether it be in little things or in big things, Lord God. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the love that you show us at all times and in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen.